0: All right, you guys all open to the book of uh, Peter? Cool, good. First Peter, I want to read, we'll jump in. Uh, we have been kind of moving a little bit slowly through this book. Uh, hopefully we're going to pick up pace today. I say hopefully because uh, we'll see, We'll see where we go. So uh, open up, if you would, First Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 3 through 4, and then we will jump in. It says this, why don't we just pause, reflect, think, consider uh, God's word right now. If you guys don't have a Bible, you can go ahead and raise your hand. We have some ushers that would love to get your Bible. If you don't own a Bible, go ahead and keep it. It's our gift to you guys. Um, First Peter chapter one, verses three through four says this, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled." and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And this is the word of the Lord. Jesus, right now we pause and we ask you, God, that you would just let your word reveal to us who you are, your nature, who we are, what we're in need of, and God, transform us. And then send us out of here, Lord, so that we would have purpose and meaning in our lives as opposed to just, meandering through this existence, trying to make sense of who we are, what we're up to, where we're going, how we're gonna spend our money and our time and our energy. So God, renew us in your presence. Revitalize us by your power. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. I want to read a uh, little quip from a commentary. It's from the African Bible Commentary. Um, Super great little statement, kind of summarizes. He says that Peter's readers may wonder how they can possibly enjoy peace when they are strangers, far from home, and then ultimately suffering all kinds of trials. So I want you to think about that. So we have kind of uh, zeroed in and focused our identity, like we looked at last week, in this double-parted phrase, uh, elect exiles. So on the one hand, elect, meaning that you have been chosen and loved and accepted and embraced by God. Exiles, meaning the culture at large has rejected you. You are not noticed, you are not accepted, you're not cared for, you don't have a place. So this is the paradox that if you are a follower of Jesus, where you today find yourself in, one of the things that we've been saying for the past several weeks is if you ever find yourself kind of like in a state of exile, like I'm not really sure if I fit in with the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or the lefts or the rights or the middle. I don't know where I fit. I feel like I'm a little bit of homeless. That's uh, That's good that's okay. You should feel like that. If you don't feel like that, if you're like, I completely fit in on this side or that side, then I would question seriously your comprehension and apprehension of your identity in Jesus, but really also at the same time who God is. So my invitation to you would be to consider what Peter is trying to write to us and allow him to begin to reshape our identity. So with that being said, I wanna basically read and go into some of the ideas that we just essentially looked at. So Peter began the little section we just read by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I think what he's trying to do for us is trying to help situate us. In other words, that in this world of trial and hardship and tribulation and difficulty, it's important for us to understand our identity, who God is, Our place, our positioning that we have with him. Because if we forget that, then what ends up happening is we find ourselves trying to find our identity elsewhere. And what that ultimately ends up leading to is a place of just chaos. Um, And as we begin to read this and understand this, what I want for us to think about is Peter initially starts off by saying these words again, blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we even move any further, I want to just kind of pause and reflect a little bit upon this important thing. I want to look at quickly three things. Number one is we see that this is basically a very traditional Jewish blessing. Again, the word blessed can just mean thankful. Like, I'm thankful to you, God. It's kind of like an act of praise or worship. Uh, some scholars think of this as what we would call a doxology, where as is writing this, it's as if he just stops, and he pauses, and he praises God, um, which is a a good habit to do, a cultivate in your life if you ever find yourself just going through life, speeding through life life, speeding be beyond you by you, um, especially if you 've had kids, you notice that before you know it, those kids grow up and They have kind of passed from this phase of being infants to all of a sudden they're driving, right? And you're like, how in the world did that happen? Um, And what we learn from Peter is I think there's, there's something that can be cultivated in our lives whereby we train ourselves to pause and reflect upon God's Goodness, we praise him, we bless him, we love him. This is exactly what Peter does. We see a couple other examples of this. For example, in the New Testament, Second Corinthians, Paul writes verses one through three. Listen to the again the, the way that he describes this. It's kind of like what scholars would describe as a liturgical formula. Listen to how this plays out. Uh, first, uh, Second Corinthians one three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Uh, Ephesians chapter one verse three. You can write this down as well. He uses the same type of liturgical formula. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings. But the point that I would make is this, is the importance of kind of how this plays out. This is, this is language. The second, which kind of leads me to the second thing to think about, is that Peter is distinctly Jewish. I don't know if you ever pause to really think about that. Uh, Peter is culturally, religiously Jewish. Just pause and think about that. Um, one final thing I would say before I move on to the next one is because of that, again, I don't know how you think about other cultures. Christianity is a multicultural family. Multicultural family. It's one of the reasons why there is absolutely no room, no room whatsoever for any form of hierarchical ethnicity, meaning racism. There's no room for it whatsoever. Peter was Jewish, Christianity started as a Jewish community. It began to expand outward into Gentile regions, meaning non-Jewish regions. But we see here, Peter, as a Jew, using Jewish liturgical language to define and describe the documents that we use to really try to make sense of who God is. So the third thing I want to use or think about, pause and consider, is the usage of what I would describe as sort of this father-son paradigm father-son paradigm, um, and just pause and reflect upon this. And I think this is so important, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. Um, the simple fact is, is the very first recorded words in the Bible of, of anybody are really important. So, for example, if you go to the very beginning of the Bible, and you see the very first time there's a recorded word of, say, for example, uh, Adam with regard to his wife. In fact, most scholars would agree that the very first words of Adam over his wife, bride, Eve, Eve, are—it's a song of praise. It's a song of praise. Um, The very first recorded words of God over Jesus are really significant as well. And what we learn about this relationship, the father-son paradigm, is really important. I realize for many of us, the language or the usage of even describing or the descriptor of God as father, for some, may be triggering because of the type of relationship you've had with your father, your earthly father. Maybe he was not a good father. Maybe that, he was an abusive father, and we'll talk about that in two seconds here. But the point that I would just make is that this language, in fact, if you want, I'll even give you a dirty four-letter word. Kids, plug your ears. Moms, just listen. The four-letter word that appears that we're going to think about is the word patriarchy. We're like, wait, P-A. No, but the point of the matter is, is this is the idea, The concept of patriarchy, we might resist this and fight against this, but what I would suggest, really what's happened, in fact, if you do a Google search or search on Amazon, the word patriarchy, the first many dozen books you will find are actually books that are written against any form of patriarchy, meaning seeing it as toxic or something to be abolished or destroyed or blown up or removed. But what I would suggest to you is that the Bible actually describes this father-son relationship. Patriarchy, God is a Father; God is identified as a Father, and this language is really important and there 's a reason why this language is chosen by god it 's important for us to think about it, consider to align our understanding of fatherhood or patriarchy in this context of Jesus and the Father. Listen to how the very first time the Father God, speaks to Jesus, the Son, Matthew chapter three verses sixteen through seventeen. listen to what it says. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to him to rest upon him. So we see this uh, language of Father, Son, and Spirit. Listen to what the Father actually says, the very first recorded words of God to his Son, Jesus. It says, And behold, a voice from heaven came out and said, listen to the words, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Very first recorded words of God the Father, this patriarchal figure, over his son, Jesus, is this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Notice four things real quick, and we'll go through these and wrap it up with the final thoughts. Number one, when Jesus was baptized, his father was there. He was there. He was present. He wasn't absent. He was there. Secondly, we see that he made his presence felt, felt, sensed by sending the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit descends upon him. And this becomes this representation of the father's presence over his son. Thirdly, we see that he made his presence known by speaking, this is my son. This is my son. Fourthly, he expressed his love. This is what he said. He's my beloved son. I love him. Guys, think about it this way. This is the ultimate expression of what fatherhood looks like. Never, ever will you find a more paradigmatic image or picture or quintessential example of what fatherhood ought to look like than this image right here. I I would even go so far as to say that every form and facet and construct of fatherhood from here needs to be built upon this, Should it miss this mark, it creates a parody and recasts an image of brokenness. If you want to think of it this way, this is the major key, the major key that every other tune of fatherhood needs to be fine-tuned to. And if it's off-key, what you end up getting is dissonance and chaos. And I would suggest to you this is one of the reasons, the key reasons why fatherhood is a triggering word for many. Listen to how Mike Wilkerson, a pastor and a leader who wrote a really good book called Redemption, you can check it out on Amazon, I highly recommend checking it out. He says this, tragically for many of us, the father-child, father-son, father-daughter relationship is fraught with fear, shame, dread, disappointment, or absence. For some of us, the word father has been darkened by the worst evils, can you ever hope to know a God, to know God as your father, if your view of father is so broken? This is a triggering word for good reason. Because in so many contexts, a father, rather than being a protector of wife and children or family or others, ultimately leads to this one where the kids and the wife need protection from him. Where in other contexts, where a father should be the one who brings peace. And affection into the family ends so, up instead bringing chaos and stress. All because the Father was not tuned rightly to the key of God the Father and the Son. This is really important to think about this because. Peter will use language that's deeply connected to the storyline of God as being father. Jesus is described as the son. To get this on point would ultimately lead to a father doing what a father ultimately should be doing. To not get it right ultimately leads to daddy drama or daddy wounds or father wounds. And what I would suggest to you, reason why this is so important, is because the entirety of Christianity is actually framed upon this relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit. And the deep resonance and love and community and relationship that's framed within this context, what we would call the Trinity. Others from, say, for example, an Orthodox perspective would describe it as like this divine dance where God is in harmony, this harmonious relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit. And as they come together, this Resonance of love is coming forth from. That's exactly what we see from the father's words over Jesus at his baptism. These are words of incredible, red hot fiery love of God for his son. And I would suggest this is what Christianity is. Christianity at its core is this profound, dynamic love relationship of father, son, Holy Spirit, and then God inviting you and I who are otherwise estranged and broken and lost and sad and depressed and filled with anxiety into the very heart of this relationship. That's what Christianity is. It's God the Father in his incredibly dynamic, red hot love inviting you in to be loved with that same degree that he shows to his son. If I were to pause right now and just say, does that sound good? I mean, isn't that really at the core of what it means to be human? All of us are longing for and craving for is to be loved, to be accepted, to be cared for, not to be judged, not to feel as if everything we do is under the scrutiny of somebody that hates us. Now, again, there's all sorts of distortions, which I don't have time to get into, but the point that I want to make is this, that this is the core of what Christianity is, God doing something about what has drawn us away from this core, the sin, the disharmony, the choosing to tune ourselves to other keys and tunes instead of the one that is set forth by God, and trying to make ourselves central instead of the Father, And then like what New Testament describes, all we like sheep, we've gone astray. All of us have fallen short of this weighty glory of God. And it's God inviting us back into the heart of things through this process, what we would call repentance, turning from our sin, and faith, turning to this God who loves us. In short, what I want to do right now is I'm going to wrap this up and finish up with some final thoughts. And what I want to do is because at the core of this, what I think what Peter is trying to remind us, that what Christianity is at its core is us receiving the invitation that God is offering to us to turn to him. And in doing so, what ends up happening is this radical reformat of our lives. And this is what Peter is going to get into next. And I'll just kind of Give you a couple quick highlights because, again, this is so rich. And as much as I want to just kind of jump through this or take the next two hours and unpack it for you, I'm going to be kind. I'm not going to make you burn underneath this red-hot sun. And I'm just going to wrap this up. But I'm going to give you basically kind of an outline of what we will look at next week. So just... Think about what he's about to tell us, uh, so you can begin to pause and reflect and consider, it, maybe even meditate upon it throughout this past, this next upcoming week. But what Peter's going to tell us is that in receiving this love of God the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and being brought into this relationship that God is inviting us into, what that does for us, it begins to reshape our lives so that we become born again. That's what he says born again to a living hope. And then he goes on to describe that we are then filled with a living hope. Not a dead hope, but a living hope. And then finally, he describes that we are then given this inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So I'm just gonna bullet those right there for you. I'm not gonna even unpack them. I'm gonna wrap it up right now and then write this point forward. I'm just gonna invite you, maybe this next week, to pray through, to read through this passage, to think about it. And as we come to a close right now, what I want to do is I want to really turn our hearts to God by way of this act, what we described earlier, of repentance and then faith. And we'll do that by singing a song, and then we will partake of communion together. So Mikey will come on down. If you're at home, you're watching us, this would be an opportunity for you to grab Um, a cracker or some juice or something, and we will partake of communion together. Um, Why don't we all stand? Uh, The ushers will then hand out to you the communion elements. So go ahead and grab that and just hold on to it until we are done singing, and then we will participate and take of the Lord's Supper together. It's a reminder. There's a word, another word that we use to describe it is communion. Why do we call it communion? The word communion simply means fellowship or relationship because that's what it is. It's about coming out of our individualism, coming out of our isolation, coming out of our independence, and learning to become dependent upon the Father, learning to become relational with the one who loves us, and who's radically given himself over to us, for us, on our behalf. This is the love that God has for you. So I want to pray over us. We will sing. And here's what I want to invite you into as we sing, okay? So I'm going to ask you to do something today. Um, you know, being outside has its ups and downs. It's kind of cool. It's nice. It's beautiful. You guys are all sitting in the sun. Hopefully it's not too hot for you guys. Um, but it's easy for us to not hear each other because we're so spread out and we go so far back. Um, and sometimes when that happens, the dynamic is so that we sing, when we sing, we sing really quiet. Um, but what I want to invite you to do is to sing aloud, to lift up your voice. If you don't know the words to the songs, that's okay, I get it. Um, You can just go to our app and on the actual app or scan that little QR code right there. Uh, There should be lyrics that are on there if you're not unfamiliar with the songs, but hopefully you guys are already familiar with the song. Um, But let's go ahead and sing this song with our outdoor voice. Is that cool? Let's use our outdoor voice and sing loudly to this God that loves us, who's given himself to us, and who's inviting us to be part of what he's describing as his kingdom, his kingdom. Guys, I'll just be f- frank. Our world is filled with a lot of chaos, a lot of hurt, a lot of brokenness, a lot of anxiety, a lot of confusion. Hypothetically, what's the answer to that? Meds? Alcohol? Binge watching? Like seriously, what, what's the answer to that? I'd suggest it's Jesus. It's re-entering into the very heart of what rules and reigns and governs and is the creative mind behind the beauty of all around us to realign our hearts with him and his ways. That involves this act of repenting, turning from those elements of our heart that are hardened to him and asking him, to reshape us, to remake us, to become people that rightly reflect him. If there's areas in our hearts that maybe need to be healed because even like I mentioned earlier, the very word father is a triggering word to you, my hope would be that you would see the recreation, the realization of what fatherhood really ought to be by just pausing and observing the love of the Father to the Son, and then being welcomed into that relationship, patterning our lives after that. So let me pray. Let's use our audio voices and sing, and then we'll partake of communion together, and we'll wrap this whole thing up. Jesus, thank you for your great love. And we turn our hearts even now to you, and we lift up our voices to proclaim your greatness.
1: You always amaze me Let your kingdom come in my world And in my life You give me the food You give me the food I need To live through today And forgive me as I forgive The people that are me. Keep me far from temptation, deliver me. I look out the window, I look out the window, the birds are composing. Why should I worry? Why do I freak out? God knows what I need.
0: Jesus was betrayed, he sat with his disciples, and he would communicate to them that the bread that they were about to eat and the cup they were about to drink was connecting them to this long, lengthy history of God's freedom over people that didn't deserve it, people that were enslaved to an oppressor. And Jesus is inviting them to say, as you partake of this, you are being swept up into a new story whereby you who were once oppressed under the tyranny of sin and ultimately death are being set free. That's why we eat this bread. That's why we drink this cup because it reminds us, it reorients us to the story. We are not self-made people. I don't care what you think. We are people that have a history. We can choose to live into that history or we can ignore that history Rebella gives that history. But the Bible actually describes that there's a peace when we receive that history, when we receive the gift that comes along with it. It reorients us to life. It recenters us. It gives us purpose, it gives us meaning, it gives us a present and a future, and ultimately a hope. So as we eat the bread, as we drink the cup, be reminded that this is the life of Jesus that we are partaking of. Let's partake together. If you can just hold on to that in your hands and uh, let's sing the chorus just one last time. Is that cool? Uh, But again, we're outdoors. Use your outdoor voice. Let's sing loudly. Proclaim this. Let this kind of be an anthem of worship and honor to our God. And then we'll wrap this up.
1: Your love is strong. Your love is, your love is, your love. And deliver us from these prisons
0: You're gonna pray over us and dismiss us Jesus, thank you for your great love We today, Lord, receive what you have to offer God, we bring, we have nothing to contribute Nothing to bring other than our own brokenness our sin, our rebellion, our hurt, our pain, our anxieties, but we bring them, we bring them in mass, and we lay them at your feet, make us new, reshape us, and as we scatter from here, Lord, use us as people that proclaim the life of Jesus, that transform our world, not by our words, not by what we have to say or do, but by your power alive in us, and then through us. Thank you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name.